explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Alright, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Another game week for East Carolina. We are preparing for Navy uh, and East Carolina. Got a lot to talk about and it was uh, we had enough to talk about already with the triple option. And now we've got even more as there are some COVID issues per Mike Houston uh, going on this week at ECU's facility, including the starting quarterback, which we'll get into. But I'm excited to welcome in uh, our guest on today's program, first and foremost, Brett Hickman, the head coach at West Brunswick High School, ECU alum, a knowledgeable football coach with a history of coaching in college football, and we'll get his take on a number of items, including the triple option. But Brett, first off, welcome back into the program. Uh, glad to have you back on. Good to be here. Hopefully there's a football game on Saturday. I think it's the most 2020 thing ever is that we still don't know on Thursday or Friday or I guess even Saturday morning whether or not games are going to be played so it's a little weird yeah full disclosure we're recording this thursday at 11 a.m and we tried to wait as late as possible in the week uh you know i started hearing about some covid stuff tuesday morning from the monday testing and you know we were going to record wednesday but with some of that stuff popping up we didn't want to record and then news come to light so uh we got a lot to talk about you know the big story of course is the status of uh quarterback holton aylers and, you know, to ECU's credit, you know, we had a press conference last night. I commend Mike Houston for jumping on and answering our questions. I did not expect him to address the, you know, individual player status of ECU players, and that didn't happen. I asked specifically about Holton Aylers, but uh, he said, you know, he could not get into that. I'll just say up front, you know, as we're doing this show on Thursday, I fully do not expect Holton Aylers to play on Saturday uh, based on everything I've heard. Uh, given the test and all that, maybe there will be some incredible medical breakthrough, but I'm not expecting Holton Aylers to play. And um, that is a, a big thing for ECU. He's obviously started, I think, now 15 games in a row for the Pirates, and you're probably going to be starting a true freshman quarterback in Mason Garcia or a redshirt freshman, Alex Flynn. And, Brett, if, as a football coach, you know how important having an experienced quarterback is from your perspective if Holton's unable to go, which, you know, we're doing this podcast under the assumption he isn't, how much does that change what ECU has to do and how Navy can attack them on Saturday? Well, in in certain ways, I, I think the biggest thing, whenever you're going into a situation where you don't have your quarterback, you know, you, you've really seen an offense for, for two years is somewhat built around Holton's skill sets. And what he's really good at is, you know, he's a big physical kid who can run and get outside the pocket and do those type of things. Uh, You know, I don't know enough about Alex Flynn, you know, given that he's got limited experience or whatever other than high school highlight tapes. But, you know, Mason Garcia, who I've seen throw live because we do seven on seven against Carolina Forest in the summer, you know, he's a guy who's going to push the football down the field and, do some of those things that naturally he's probably more gifted 
you know, at, than, than Holton is. I think the biggest thing that scares you is it's a conference game with, with limited to very practically no game experience at the college level. And as highly thought of as I think of Mark Morris, his high school coach down at Carolina Forest, and he was extraordinarily well coached down there. It, it, it's a little different playing West Florence High School than it is, um, you know, a Division One football game for the first time. So, I I think the biggest thing is is that this year you had to you have to prepare for the unexpected, and you just hope he's taking advantage of the reps. But you'll have no idea how the kill respond until, I guess, the the proverbial bullets start flying on a on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Brian Newberry, the Navy defensive coordinator, he, he's very similar to Blake Harrell. You know, both of them came from Kennesaw State uh, to their FBS jobs. But, you know, watching last year's game against East Carolina, they bring blitzes a ton. They bring them from everywhere. Uh, you know, I would expect that they would do that again and challenge ECU's offensive line, even if Holton was playing Saturday. I'm sure they'll do it, even, you know, especially with Garcia out there. Um, how tough is the mental side of things? Because as you said, Brett, I think physically we all know Mason's got the talent, and even if Flynn ends up playing, how much is just the mental side, being able to set protections, being able to diagnose the defense, uh, you know, pre-snap and post-snap, how, how crucial is that for a young quarterback? Well, I think it's everything. I mean, I think any time you're, you're talking about young quarterbacks in college football, just more is put on them than a high school system or situation. Um, you know, you talk about Brian Newberry, who I coached against when he was at Kennesaw State and coached offense when we were playing them. Sorry if you guys hear our class bell. Um, I'm in my planning period. Um, so you're going to have to rotate, you know, you're going to have to switch protections, move the line on top of, you know, don't turn the football over. What's my read progression in this particular scheme? You know, in some ways, though, I'm not so sure that having some situations where you know you're getting a ton of blitz doesn't help you some as a quarterback because so much of what Donnie does coming from that air raid tree in the drop back game is, okay, if they bring it from here, this ball's going there right now. It, it sometimes gets you out of the one, two, three of the drop back progression. And it just says, okay, this is a one man read at this point, the ball's going there. And if my one man does it, so um, in a lot of ways, that actually can help you. You know, if Navy decides to, to bring overload pressures and then you're singled up on the edge, then he knows that, okay, at that point, it's just a matchup game. It depends on how much he can see in terms of when they disguise and then they come or when they act like they're coming and then they drop. That's what you worry more about uh, the quarterback when the picture is moving all the time, meaning, you know, is – are they giving you something different than what you saw in your pre-snap read? I think that's where high school quarterbacks struggle the most or transitioning college quarterbacks struggle the most. Yeah, and you look at Navy and, you know, their defense last year was pretty good. I mean, really very good for their standards compared to the past years. This year they've had some guys out due to COVID. They've played some tough teams, but they have been getting gashed on the ground. Uh, they're giving up, I think, around five, six yards a carry, uh, around 250 yards per game on the ground. Uh, so I would fully expect them to try and take the run away and make Mason beat them with his arm or whichever quarterback is in there, just given the youth. But I do think ECU can run the football on them regardless. And I think Mason, uh, specifically, rather than Alex Flynn, has legs or has the legs to do damage as well. So 
you know, similar to when Holton played early in his career, he did a lot of quarterback run game uh, to kind of simplify it, take some pressure off his arm. I think that's something we could see on Saturday as well against Navy and uh, how crucial establishing a run similar to what, you know, they've ran it twice now in three games at a good level. Uh, the Georgia State game, they were not able to run the football, Brett, but uh, how encouraging is it that they have been able to at least establish the run and there is the potential, it seems, on film to be able to do that with, with a younger quarterback potentially on Saturday? Oh, it's encouraging from what you've seen in two of the three games. And I would argue that it's vital this week. Um, you know, Brian's not Newberry. He's not stupid, and he's going to know freshman quarterback. This team rushed for 250 yards against Central Florida and whatever it was last week against South Florida. They're going to sell out to stop the runs, particularly when East Carolina gets into the 12 personnel sets that you saw last week with, with two tight ends on the field. You know, you're going to get some eight- and nine-man fronts, which to me that fits in really well with what Garcia can do off of the play-action game because if they're going to have to commit eight, nine hats to the run, you know, now the ball can really get pushed down the field. You know, when that kid opens it up, it's 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 an elite um, it's elite arm talent. So, you know, I, if you can establish that run and force them to get nine guys within eight, nine yards of the line of scrimmage, and then you're getting Johnson or, you know, even Josiah Hatfield or somebody who can really run um, as opposed to work in the middle of the field. Now you can get the vertical stretch outside the hashes. So I think that's going to be very critical because it, it all, it all complements together. Yeah, Josiah Hatfield, it sounds like, will return this week, and he averaged uh, 16.2 yards per catch last year. Also missed some throws throughout the season that could have upped those numbers. So he's a guy who can vertically stretch the field. He can horizontally stretch it with the uh, jet sweeps, the screens, that sort of stuff. So I think his impact coming back, it sounds like he will play as big. You know, we saw C.J. get involved last week. Uh, We know Blake is steady as can be. We know Tyler Sneed. Um, can do what he does in the slot. So at least Mason has some weapons around him. Hopefully they can protect him. Uh, We'll see what happens on Saturday. Again, the running game will be crucial. Uh, Before we transition, Brett, mainly to the how you defend the triple option, which you had a great write-up on Hoist the Colors, which we'll get into. Uh, Offensively, you know, the the biggest thing with ECU is we we talk a lot about the defense, how you defend it, but I, I feel like the offense in these games over the years has just been abysmal either they they start off poor they go three and out where they turn the ball over and that just kind of compounds the issues of facing navy you know what are you looking for outside of the obvious offensively in this game to to really give ecu a shot because i think it honestly starts on that side of the ball too yeah i mean i I, i'm sure donnie mentioned that i haven't had a chance to listen to his comments or but i did hear coach houston talk about maximizing possessions i think it's the most critical factor whenever you can play the option is that in a typical game you're going to get you know 13 to 15 possessions against them you're looking at nine or ten you know max so you have to be efficient and I you know even sometimes a good drive might not be scoring but it's just not going three and out Uh, particularly you know from a perspective as a as a kind of a lifelong defensive coach the idea of if I'm out there for six or seven minutes, then I need those six or seven minutes of real time on the bench to get my adjustments done. Well, you go out there and you whatever, go three and out or 
and then two or three of them are incompletions or whatever, you know, I haven't, number one, I haven't, I, my defense is not fresh and I haven't given them a chance to get over there and get adjusted. So you have to, you have to move the football. You have to eliminate three and outs. And then when you get down there, you know, because it's a shorter possession game, points are more at a premium. I mean, it is what it is. You know, the, the 76 to 35 game or whatever it was in 2010, I mean, that's an anomaly. Even even option teams when they get going, if you if you have any kind of clue, you're you got a chance to hold them to 28, 35 points, even if they're a well-oiled machine. But it's harder to score 35 points when you only get nine possessions. So I think I think it's critical that the offense uh, does what they do. Now I will say this: I think what East Carolina is doing offensively complements and we'll get into this when we talk about stopping the option what they've done against south florida and central florida complements playing against an option team like navy than what they did in the rough and mcneil era i mean it is what it is because at least you you have the physicality and what you've been trying to do offensively you can't simulate the formations and the speed the way you want to but you can at least somewhat simulate it in it you can simulate perimeter walking or whatnot on bubble screens and things of that nature. But you can also really get after people at the line of scrimmage a little bit more so uh, now. And that Mike Houston's just not going to allow any offensive coordinator to be wholly into like the fast tempo. We're going to throw it 55 times a game. That's not who they are. And I think if you look historically, and I wrote this in my article, Option teams typically defend option teams really well. Like Army and the Citadel played last week, and it was 14 to 9. But when an option team goes against a Washington State or a, you know, Army and Middle Tennessee State early in the year, and I, I watched that game, I guess it was week zero or whatever it was, and Army goes out there and scores in seven plays, and then Middle Tennessee State holds it for 20 seconds. You know, and all of a sudden you blink and your defense is dead. You're down 14 to nothing. And then you don't have the ability to line up and run the football and let them to get adjusted. That's how they get to the 50s. That's how they get to the 60s. And, uh, you know, I think I think you'll see East Carolina really try and play complementary football uh, to run the football and, and manufacture some drives of their own, which makes for a short game. You know, we're not going to play for four hours on Saturday, so I guess that's good. Yeah, that a noon start and less than four hours. I'm cool with that. That means I'll get out of there at a decent time. Uh, you know, Blake Harrell, the new defensive coordinator for ECU, Mike Houston was pretty, you know, he didn't hide any, any bones about it that, you know, when he went through the defensive coordinator process, and you wrote this in your article, Brad, I mean, the triple option and defending it and having a plan for it was a key part of that process. He knows that ECU is going to play Navy – uh, the majority of the years now, now that there's no divisions for the foreseeable future in the Americans, so ECU is going to have to have a plan to stop the option. He clearly was not as happy with that plan last year. He feels much better about it this year. You know, we won't know until Saturday, but we're talking about a guy in Blake Harrell who has been practicing against the triple option with every college football team he's been with as a D coordinator or defensive coach until now that he's at ECU. So if anybody should know it and know the ins and outs of it, it's Blake Harrell. How much more confidence should we have in that ECU will have a plan? And then I know at the end of the day, it's about what the players know and not what the coaches know, but I do feel like they'll be much better prepared on Saturday. 
Yeah, you know, it was fascinating kind of rewinding to February when he was, or I guess it was January, when he was going through the process of, of, of hiring Blake. I don't know how many people he talked to, and this is conjecture and after the fact, talking with a couple of the coaches up there, and then a couple of the guys he interviewed, I knew really well. He interviewed Blake. Um, he interviewed Chad Staggs, who's at Coastal Carolina now, who was the coach at Charleston Southern and North Greenville, the defensive coordinator. So Chad and I actually worked together. Um, and Chad had done a great job defending it, both at North Greenville and Charleston Southern. And then he, he interviewed a guy named Randall McCray, who I was with at Gardner-Webb, who had defended them at the Citadel and, and, and at Wofford and all the other people in Kennesaw State in our, in our, in FCS football. And I don't, I don't know who else he brought on campus, but you know, those three guys, Randall, Chad, and Blake, I've heard from each of them that, you know, the, the, the morning interview process was kind of installation of the base defense. And it went for whatever, two or three hours, about like you would expect. And then they'd go to lunch and the entire afternoon uh, was essentially spent on how would you defend Navy? Because it is a big game and it is a, for whatever, I mean, you got to win a conference championship. I don't think it's any different than um, you know, when State or Carolina or whatever, um, I guess Duke's the other one in the Coastal, had to defend Paul Johnson every year. So you're not going to – you're not going to go in there without some type of plan every year. And I think a lot of it with, with Blake I think is fascinating. I think this is the first football team he's coached since he was a high school coach that offensively they didn't run the triple option. So there's nothing on that video from Navy – that is going to surprise them from a scheme look. I mean, when you talk about the, the the three core plays of the triple option, to me are you know the hard dive, the the inside beer, and the midline. But there's about thirty complement plays that come off of all of that, and Blake's seen them all, and he's seen them all out of various formations. He's seen them playing a three down front. He's seen them playing a four down front. So is nothing they do is going to surprise him. I think you know, when they do it or how they call it is obviously important, but none of that matters unless the kids know, you know, so uh, it, I would feel much better about the X's and O's and the numbers matching up per se. Um, but the offense is so tried and true. It, on, on the flip side of that, like nothing's going to surprise Blake, but nothing Blake does defensively is going to surprise Ivan Jasper or Kendi Amatololo. I mean, they have been in this system for their entire professional lives. I mean, I, I liken it to the fact that I've been in the I've been in the three four defense now for fifteen years. If if I see a breakdown, or I don't have to look at a play, I don't have to look at a breakdown. If a ball hits us somewhere, I know who the culprit was on our team that made a mistake and or I know where the weakness of the defense is, so I have to make an adjustment scheme-wise. Both of these sides of the football are going to be like that this week, so ultimately it's going to come down to not who out-coaches, who, who out-physicals, who and who, who out-executes the other one. That That's what this is about. They're not going to – East Carolina is not going to look hapless from a coaching standpoint um, if – if they don't play well, it'll be because the kids couldn't execute the plan. Yeah, and even looking back at last year's game, I know the score got out of hand, uh, especially early. And But you look at the stats, and really 
ECU did a, a good job against the fullback dive. They pretty much took that away. You know, the slot backs didn't kill him. It, it was the quarterback. It was uh, Malcolm Perry. They just couldn't stop him. They couldn't get to him on the runs. Uh, and he, in a few times, ECU was there on third and medium, and he would just slide off guys and get first downs. And he ended up having, I think, uh, 150 yards passing, 150 yards rushing. He accounted for six touchdowns. I mean, he was a one-man wrecking crew that game. And that was so early in the year last year, a lot of people forget that we knew Malcolm Perry was good. We didn't know he was that good. And I think, you know, they accounted for the quarterback as you do in the option. Uh, but almost he was like so good that they couldn't account for him enough. This year, it's really kind of a different dynamic, Brett. You look at their quarterback now, I think is Dallin Morris is how you pronounce it, uh, through, through four games, and he did miss a game. He's carried the ball 25 times for 30 yards. Uh, they've been doing it more with the fullback and with the passing game at times. So how much different is it maybe that you don't have that dynamic threat at quarterback? Can you defend it differently, easier? Does it make it uh, a little less of a challenge, even though it always is going to be tough? Well, it's different in a sense that, you know, you're you're going to be able to – you're going to be able to allow your inside linebackers to, to be a little bit slower to the alley, um, you know, and, and you can also maybe soften the safeties up just a hair. You know, if you know that – that quarterback's not much of a threat to run, you know, what's going to end up happening is they're going to try and build the wall and, and just run some double option and some triple option to try and block some of those down linemen. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is that when you look at the stats, a team starts to take on the identity of themselves after, I guess, the fourth or fifth game, which is where they are. So the kid's obviously not what they had. I mean, that, that kid and then, uh, Keenan Reynolds, I believe it was a few years ago, they were they were the cogs to the wheel. They're the engine that makes it run. Um, you know, judging by the stats, they've been much better at establishing the fullback. Well, how you establish the fullback in the triple option offense is not the triple option play. You know, it's the it's the hard dive, it's the wind back, it's the it's it's all the complement plays that we talk about. So, you know, to, to stop those, you know, it's just old school football. You got to play a block and you got to get off a block and you got to make a play. You know, there's, there's nothing schematically that you can do to just say, I'm going to take away the fullback on those type of plays. So I think that's what you have to do. You know, I think that's first and foremost. And you have to beat, you have to let, I think it's defense, defensive football in general, not just triple option defense. I think you have to find, who their best players are, and I think you got to make them left-handed. If the best player is a quarterback, take away the dive to the quarterback, be a little bit late to the pitch. If the best player is a slot back, make that thing slow play so that you got guys to get off, give guys a little bit more time to get off blocks. I mean, to me, take away the fullback first and then, you know, let a guy who hasn't proven he can beat you beat you. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Ready? Go. 
Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that early chess match, how ECU comes out formationally, how they kind of line up uh, responsibility-wise. Do they switch off some of the responsibilities from play-to-play? You talked about the flow defense a lot in this uh, in this week's write-up, which I rec- can't recommend it enough to people to go read that if you're kind of looking for an X's and O's uh, look at how ECU could defend it. You know, we'll find out for sure on Saturday. Uh, Brett, when you look at this thing in terms of the X's and O's, and you kind of hit on it there, you know, it really comes down to execution more so than game plan. But how much are you looking forward to that chess match early in the game? And just just seeing how ECU comes out maybe the first drive. And because that first drive is critical. You look at last week, Navy goes 17 plays, 76 yards. They eat up uh, 9 minutes and 38 seconds. Temple couldn't even finish his first offensive possession before the first quarter ended. So, how much are you looking for that first drive and kind of seeing how, how Blake Carroll, Mike Houston decide to play it? I'm looking forward to seeing if East Carolina can get lined up properly. I, I know what Navy does. Navy's going to come out and they're going to show three or four different formations early in the game. And they'll show just the traditional double slot, two wide receivers to each, or a wide receiver to each side type deal. They're going to get in last year. What gave East Carolina a ton of problems was the bunch set from the from the receivers, you know, to try and get some extra hats to the second level. How does East Carolina handle that? Um, because what that does is it changes your support player in flow coverage. If if your safety if your safety is normally your support player, well, when they get into that bunch set, now the corner has to do it and. Uh, East Carolina got ran by in both of them last year. You know, I, I've said all week, and whenever you play a triple option, if they go four for six, it's going to be a bad day for because that means they're running the football and they're getting people wide open in the passing game because that, those four completions are going for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. And that was one thing East Carolina did not do a very good job of. I, I think the biggest thing here – the hardest job this week, I don't care whatever you do in the front, is on Trip Weaver and Steve Ellis, you know, making sure they don't give up the play-action pass and still being able to adequately get down the field. Um, and a lot of that, man, those, that first half, second, what that slot back or what that receiver is doing looks exactly like it does when they run a certain amount of plays. So I'll have a pretty good idea in the first quarter of how East Carolina is going to try and defend it, you know, but can over the course of – 60, 70, 80 plays, can you have the eye discipline um, at all levels of the defense to defend it is is always the question. And and then, you know, I think it'll come down to that and then, you know, the toughness that it requires. I think the most important thing when you watch people play the option, you can see, like, I go back to that Army Middle Tennessee State, and you go watch it on uh, YouTube from the first week by the second series defense. The players' safeties are tapping their helmet and limping off the field because they're mad they're getting cut blocked. I mean, when if you go into the week thinking 
on the D-line, I got to play a scoop all week. I don't get to rush the passer. Well, like a kid like Willis, he came to East Carolina to rush the passer, sack the quarterback, whatever. Well, this week he's got to play the cut block or the scoop block all week. It's not fun, but you have to get it out of your mindset on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that this just ain't going to be the game where I'm going to have a lot of stats or the safeties. You know, I came here to get interceptions. Brother, it ain't fun to run down there eight yards and somebody dive at your kneecap. So the mindset of am I willing to play that all day and maintain the eye discipline and the mental toughness to do my job every snap, that's always the biggest key to me uh, is the eye discipline and the, and the mental toughness it takes uh, to defend it. And, you know, you, we look at this matchup and, and I think it's – you mentioned the safety play. The safety play to me is crucial – uh, last year, Always. yeah, Tank Robinson and Daniel Charles uh, played safety last year. Charles, who's no longer with the team, uh, you know, they, they made some tough reads, and that was their first time going against the options. So uh, this year you've got a few new safeties that they brought in from junior college, Sean Dorsow, Robert Kennedy, who maybe have a little bit more speed. And uh, I'm interested to see how they transition to, to help with the option. we got Warren Saba, who, who's a, a pretty experienced guy. Uh, didn't play a ton versus the option last year, but he does have experience. That room is something I'll be looking at because they've rotated all four of those guys through the first three games. So who do they play most on Saturday is something I want to see. Um, as we sit here doing this podcast, we've got a little bit of breaking news, Brett. Uh, n- the game is still on. Uh, uh, playing ball as of uh, 11.45 on Thursday. Uh, unfortunately for the American Athletic Conference, Tulsa and Cincinnati has been postponed due to COVID-19 cases at Cincinnati. That game was scheduled to be on ESPN2 at noon on Saturday, so that means ECU Navy will go into the noon slot on ESPN2 uh, as of right now. So, again, uh, we'll continue to monitor the situation. We know we have some active COVID cases, but as of right now, ECU Navy going to be on Saturday inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium, 12 noon, ESPN2, and on ESPN Plus if you'd rather watch it that way. But, uh, man, I just hope we get to Saturday, uh, Brett. This thing, every time something pops up on Twitter or email, I kind of uh, I kind of start to sweat a little bit. Somebody said today, uh, I got a text from one of my buddies who's in conversation. He said, Nick Saban has not missed a day of work since he was a GA at Kent State I think when his father passed away. And now he's going to miss a game between number two and number three in the country. So mm. it is. It is out here. Yeah, you know that's just eating him up inside. I, I still say like he doesn't rule out a Hugh Freeze situation where he finds a way to get locked in a room somewhere and calls plays. They just yeah. sterilize the entire coach's press box and he calls. Them. I think that would set kind of an interesting precedent for how we're all going to do it. But, um, you know, I'm sure there were Georgia fans calling the fine bomb show saying, you know, the only symptom he's got is he's scared of Georgia, which I don't <laughs> – you I don't know, think the uh, there's no history to suggest that. Yeah, you know how SEC fans are; they'll take any little thing and run with it for sure. Uh, Brett, before we wrap this thing up, I'll, I'll end this with the final big question. And there's a lot that goes into this, but can ECU win this football game against Navy without Holt Naylor's playing? Yeah, I mean, I would have felt better if Holton was playing. I mean, you know, there's an old saying, and I actually got this from from Skip when I worked for him, and I'm sure he got it from his father about problems. And 90% don't care, and 10% are glad you got them. And 
this isn't high school football in a sense. Like if my quarterback goes down in most years, you know, I got to take a kid who's been playing safety, who's taken two snaps a game. He's truly an emergency quarterback. Garcia is on scholarship. Okay. I mean, he's a $200,000 investment to that university. You know, he wouldn't have got a full scholarship if he didn't have some talent or whoever it is. Um, and I know right now it's conjecture and we're talking about this. Yeah, they can they can win the game. I mean, absolutely. I, number one, I think the stigma of what Navy's been for the last, whatever, 15 years, they've still had teams that have not been the juggernaut that they were last year. You know, I mean, I, and I don't think this is one of their better teams. I don't, there's nothing to suggest that. I'm not even just talking about the BYU game. I mean, throw that one out, whatever. But I think I've heard Coach Houston say that. But, I mean, they beat Temple, good win, got smoked by Air Force, and and Tulane, excuse me, played great for a half and played very poorly for a half and found a way to win a game. The one thing Navy knows how to do, they know how to win. You know, those kids have been through the battles and they've found a way to consistently win eight or nine games a year. This game will tell me more. And I'm not talking about out of winning and losing. I, East Carolina still has a long way to go to build the program that Coach Houston wants to build and where East Carolina was with, with Skip and Ruffin. I mean, or, and of course, at times with Steve Logan. They got a ways to go for that. But this game will tell me so much more about where they are from a mental toughness standpoint than any game they've had thus far this year. Because UCF is not just a ground and pound. You know, they overwhelm you with their speed and their tempo and all that. South Florida is not very good. And I don't think I'm – not, I'm not trying to disparage them or anything. That's a bad football team right now. Now, you did to a bad football team what decent teams do to bad football teams. Georgia State overwhelmed East Carolina at the point of contact. They did. Now you're getting a different kind of team that tries to overwhelm you at the point of contact and overwhelm you with physicality on the perimeter with how they cut block and how they block the edge. And if East Carolina's defense will go out there and fight and slow them down somewhat to the tune of 28 to 32 points, that's a whole lot better than the 50 spots that you've been giving up and they can consistently run the football, win or lose, that will tell me a lot of where they're at. I'm not making a prediction because the last time I did, you know, I came out in pool. But that team showed some mental toughness coming off that Georgia State game because that was rock bottom. That was below rock bottom. I didn't think they had a performance that poor in them um, to come back and play a little bit better. And they talked about how good practice was last week and preparation was there's still a bunch of young puppies out there on defense, and this is not a game where you want to play a lot of young kids with with. And, and I don't even know how many of them you saw in high school. You know, it's just it's a dying offense, particularly at the high school level, because you can't cut block on the perimeter. So you're going to have very limited and no experience playing against it. But you know, I, I can't imagine playing for a defensive staff with Coach Houston, Roy Tesh, Tripp, Weaver, and Blake, who have seen this for years and years and years and years and years, and they have gone 365 days of seeing it. Uh, you know, I can't imagine a better circumstance or a situation in terms of preparation. 
And, uh, you know, they, yeah, they can win the game, and they can win the game with a backup quarterback. But I still don't think this game will be – this game can be lost on the offensive side of the ball um, if, with turnovers or with not moving the football. But I, I, I don't think there's any reason to think East Carolina shouldn't be able to manufacture 21 to 31 points with a backup quarterback. I mean, they've ran the football well enough to do that, and they've got plenty of weapons outside to make – make a play or two where, where you're going to have the athletic advantage, which is the pirate receivers versus the Navy secondary. So, you know, that's probably a long win answer, but yes, they can win. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they can win. I think it'll be tough uh, given the circumstances, but, you know, it's Navy. Uh, I, I think if you were going to have your starting quarterback out, this would be the week in terms of you have a bye next week. So, Maybe it works out uh, in a good perspective that way. Although you would never want to wish, uh, you know, this this stuff upon a player. But uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll continue to keep you updated on Hoist the Colors. Again, as of now, as we finish up this recording around noon on Thursday, the game is on. The game is scheduled to be now on ESPN two, due to Cincinnati and Tulsa uh, being postponed due to COVID. So this is an ever changing situation, ever changing college football world. Uh, Brett, we appreciate the time uh, in your planning period to join us, give us some insight, and looking forward to seeing how things go Saturday. But once again, uh, always appreciate your insight and knowledge uh, about the game. All right, Stephen. You guys have a good week. All right, that is Brett Hickman, head coach at West Brunswick High School. And that will do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo. We'll be with you after the game, breaking down either an ECU loss or an ECU win. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. On robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, you got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.